You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I need to decide what I'm talking about. And I study the context. And the way you study the context of a text is you go many verses in front of the text and many verses after the text to get exactly what's happening. You can't pull a text right out of the sky and say, oh, look, this is great. And we do that with some of the promises of God, and that's not quite as bad. But for, when you're looking for context, the context of the text, you need to look at the entire text, what it's saying. So I study it. I let Scripture interpret Scripture. Do you want to grow in your understanding of the Bible? In today's message, Pastor Dave talks about how we need to understand the context of the Bible. In order to fully grasp the intended message of a verse, we must consider the historical, cultural, and literary context in which it was written. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Ascension of Jesus Christ. Today, however, we are in our study of the book of Acts, and we're going through the Acts of the Apostles, so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts 1, today we will be focusing on Acts 20 through 26, the end of, we're going to finish chapter 1 today. However, I want to read for you that entire thought from Acts 1, 15 to 26, so if you will read silently, I'll read aloud. Acts 1, 15 to 26. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about 120, and said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he may go, might go to his own place. And they cast their lots. The lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. A young pastor was sitting in a restaurant eating his lunch. He opened the letter he had just received that morning from his mom. And as he was opening it, a $20 bill fell out. And he looked at himself and thought, thanks, mom. I could sure use that at this time. 
As he finished his meal, he was leaving the restaurant, and he noticed the beggar outside on the sidewalk, standing, leaning up against the post with his hand out, looking for things that he might receive. Thinking that the poor man could probably use the money more than he, he crossed out the names on the envelope, and he wrote in very, very large print, P-E-R-S-E-V-E-R-E, persevere. Not wanting to make a scene with the man, he put the envelope under his arm, and as he walked by the man, he dropped it on the floor or on the ground. And as he turned around and watched, the man picked up the envelope, read it, looked inside, smiled. Following day, the pastor was again eating lunch at the very same place. And when all of a sudden the same beggar walked up to him, tapped him on the shoulder, and handed him this great big bag of money, overflowing with money. The guy looked at it and he said, what, what is this? What is this? The man said, that's your half of the winnings. Persevere came in first at the fourth race yesterday at the track. And that's your half, pal. Well, what you can see in this story <laughs> is a little bit of different interpretations of the word persevere and a little bit of different application to what was being said here. I believe that one of the problems facing the Christian church today is the misinterpretation and the misapplication of the Word of God. As I stated before, you can take God's Word and you can twist it, you can manipulate it, you can misinterpret it, and you can misapply it to rationalize anything that you might be doing right now. Let me give you a case in point. Let me give you a little example here. This happened on Thursday morning. The guys were sitting around. All the men were, all the men were sitting there on Thursday morning. We have our Thursday morning fellowship. And we were reading Isaiah. We've been studying the book of Isaiah, having a wonderful time. If you've got some time at 7 o'clock in the morning, come on out on Thursday. What a great time. Anyhow, we began reading, and we were reading in Isaiah 5. And we came to verse 11. And in verse 11, the first part of it we read, Woe to those who rise up early in the morning. I immediately said, Whoa, great! I don't have to get up early anymore. Right here in the Bible, it says, woe to those who rise up early in the morning. I think I can sleep in until 11 or 12. Let's have church whenever we wake up. We're just going to say, okay, church is open. The doors are open. And when you wake up, come on to church. That's what the Bible says. I can get very dogmatic about this. And if you don't know what dogmatic means, it simply means that I can make this a truth that we hold on to, and I can change it to the doctrine of the church if I want to. But is that what the Scripture really says? Is that the true interpretation of those words? I don't think so, because there is a comma there. There is a comma after that, after it says, woe, in that, com in that comma there. It says, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night, till wine inflames them. So you see, just by taking one verse of the Word of God, taking it out of context, I can completely misinterpret it and then misapply it to my life. You can see how that is done, and I'm sure you can give examples of yourself how people have started churches with taking one verse out of context, they've, they've made it doctrine in the church, and they've started movements, that this is the way it's supposed to be, because after all, it's in the Word of God, and it says it right there, and yes, it does. Woe to those who rise up early in the morning, comma, which means it's a continuing thought, etc., etc., so that's just a little example of something simple. As we read in context, we get the entire Scripture. We must look at the rest of the Scripture to get the entire message from God, to get the total context of what God was trying to say to our hearts. This is a problem with interpretation without the Holy Spirit. 
you try to interpret without the Holy Spirit, you end up with these types of meanings because we make the Scriptures say what we want them to say instead of letting them say what God has intended them to say. And this is an important part. This is very, very important for us to remember. We want what God wants to say to us. We want God's interpretation. It's a problem. Last week, we discussed a distinctive of the church, and that distinctive was the disciples were biblically based. They were biblically based and they were balanced in the way they approached the Scripture. We said that these early believers were students of God's Word. They knew the Scriptures and they had confidence in them that they were from God. Even before the Holy Spirit fell upon them, Peter was alive in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures that Peter refers to here in our text today, Psalms 69.25 and Psalms 109.8, you can see those in verse 20. Peter shed some new light on these things. If not for Peter's speech here, we would have never understood that these verses apply to Judas. We wouldn't have known that. But Peter correctly interprets the verse. He did an excellent job. And this is an example of what good interpretation does. Good interpretation reveals and exposes the true meaning of the text. The true meaning of the text. Peter was accurate in his biblical approach to interpreting the text according to the events he saw. And by this we see that the Word of God was important to him. Peter obviously had been studying the Scriptures. And from that we said we can assume that Peter discovered this in one of two ways. He discovered this by actually studying the Word of God and by secondly a revelation through the Holy Spirit. I believe he received it by both ways. By looking at the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit explaining these verses to him. Remember, we said that the only Bible they had back then was the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament Scriptures. It was the only form of Scriptures that they had. So when they refer to the Scriptures in the Bible, in the New Testament, they're referring referring mainly to the first five books of the Bible, Isaiah, the Psalms, some of the prophets. That's what they're referring to as the Word of God. Because look what Peter said back in verse 16 of chapter 1. He said, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled by which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas. And we can draw from this that Peter believed in the inspiration of the Scriptures. Because later on, Peter's going to say in his second epistle, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, verses 19 to 21. The Holy Spirit moved them to write these scriptures just as the Holy Spirit moved Peter to discern what the scriptures were saying. That's why we can never go into a Bible study, whether it be collectively or whether it be individually, without first sitting and praying to the Lord. And seeking his guidance. I mean, after all, if you believe this to be the word of God, if you believe this to be inspired, if you believe it to be inerrant, infallible, God wrote it, then who better to explain it to us than God? We need to seek his help. We need to seek his counsel on this. So Peter, along with the other uh, believers in the upper room that day, believed that the scriptures were inspired and that they did believe that they were the inerrant word of God. There was no falsities. They're infallible. It was true. God said it, therefore it would happen and it would come to pass, and they had confidence in that. And remember our talk about the unity that these believers had. 
We said that they were of one accord. We said they were like-minded. They had one passion, and that passion was Jesus Christ. So we have to conclude that the entire group felt the same way as Peter. The entire group felt that they had to be biblically based, and they realized that this was a fact of their life. They learned not to do anything that wasn't confirmed through the Scriptures or spiritually. I like to say they had a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview, which something is very, very important to us today. We need a biblical worldview. We have to view the world through the eyes of the Bible and through the eyes of our Lord, not through the eyes of the newspaper, not through the eyes of anybody, even Fox News. We can't view the world that way. We have got to view the world from the Scriptures. I'm not downing Fox News. I'm not downing anybody. I'm saying, though, we for ourselves need the view to have a biblical worldview. Some of these stations do present a biblical worldview, but it's always tainted in one form or the other. As we study our today, we're going to draw their attention now from Peter's interpretation, and we're going to look at Peter's application. Today's message is entitled, Accurate Application. We want to see how Peter took these scriptures and then applied them. It's very, very important for us to take the scriptures that we hear and apply them to our lives. But we must apply them accurately. When I looked at that verse that said I could sleep in until 11 or 12 o'clock, I wasn't reading the entire verse, therefore I wasn't applying it accurately. It would be a false application. We need to be true. What do I mean by application? What is meant by application? Application is how do I respond to God's Word? That's my application. After I hear it, after I receive it, how do I respond to it? What is it that I do? The method I, that I use to study the Bible is called the inductive Bible study method. Inductive Bible study method. There have been a lot of books published on it. You can go online, you can click and Google inductive Bible study. You can find all kinds of information. I have some great books if you would like to borrow them. But the inductive Bible study method consists of three main parts. You have observation, you have interpretation, and you have application. And every time you read the Scriptures, you apply these three rules to it. The first thing I do is, obviously, I pray. And I ask the Holy Spirit to guide me through the Scriptures. Guide me through the text as I look at it. I read the text several times, over and over and over, and I begin to observe it. I look at it. While I'm recording, while I'm observing it, I'm recording. First thing I do is record my first impressions. What do I, what do I think about the text? The first thing that might come to my mind, I record that. And while I'm doing that, I record the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how of text. Who's speaking? Who's he speaking about? Are there other people mentioned in the text? What's the context? Where are they? Where are they when they speak this? And I look at all these things when I'm, when I'm doing that kind of thing. I gather as much information out of the text. In other words, I let the text speak for itself. I let the text speak for itself. And it's very, very important for me to do that. After that, I probably read the Scripture again. I look at it again, and I move into the interpretation stage. I'm looking for the correct interpretation from the Scriptures. I want the Scripture to interpret itself. Is it literal interpretation, or is it figurative? I need to decide what I'm talking about. And I study the context, and the way you study the context of a text is you go many verses in front of the text and many verses after the text to get exactly what's happening. You can't pull a text right out of the sky. 
and say, oh, look, this is great. And we do that with some of the promises of God, and that's not quite as bad. But for, when you're looking for context, the context of the text, you need to look at the entire text, what it's saying. So I study it. I let Scripture interpret Scripture. The New Testament always takes precedent. Why? Because I'm a New Testament saint. The Old Testament has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And I have been saved by Jesus Christ. So when I look at the Scriptures, I want to make the New Testament my form basis here. I use the Old Testament to reinforce what I've learned in the New Testament. This brings me to the application part. Or how do I respond to what I've just read, observed, and interpreted? There's a great Scripture reference in Psalm 119, 105. I'm sure you can probably recite it about the actions of God's Word, what God's Word can do. It says, your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a guide to my path. God's Word is our guide to each step we take. And His light, He lights the way in the darkness as we can clearly see. So as we're moving through the darkness of this world, God's Word lights the way. And it's illuminated as we step forward. Because each step we take, guess what? He's already been there. He's waiting for us to get there. So each step we take, he prepares the way. Application is an action, and it requires an action from you or from me. When we read God's Word, it should urge us to respond. There should be a response when we read God's Word. This is what the application process looks like. And this response takes on several questions. Are there examples for you to follow? Is there sin that we should forsake? Are there errors to avoid? Are there promises for us to believe? Are there commands for us to obey? And are there actions for us to take? You look at these things, and and it helps us move through God's Word. You know, there's tools necessary for the application process also. We have a toolbox that we have to give. The first tool, the first and foremost tool, is to appeal to the Holy Spirit for teaching and guidance. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 2nd chapter. Turn with, with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, 2nd chapter. The 2nd chapter, beginning in verse 6. I'm going to read through. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it was written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have man ent- have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of, the, of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. These things which also we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have 
the mind of Christ. That's why we go to the Holy Spirit. We want to know to go to the source. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. If you've been born again, the Holy Spirit is now taking up residence inside of you. And that Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you into all truth. That Holy Spirit will show you the things of the Bible and make them clear to you. So therefore, why would we try to interpret the text or apply the text without the Holy Spirit? You can't do it. We need to read it. So after we appeal to the Holy Spirit for help, we then take the main point and apply it to our life. And we answer those six questions. Is there an example? Is there sin? Is there error? Is there something I should avoid? Is there a promise to claim? And finally, is there a command I should obey? And the final tool in the application process is the so what now tool. So what now? What do I do now? What do I plan to do about it? Now that I've read this thing and I've seen there's something to happen, what do I plan to do about it? What's my response? What difference will this make in my life? What specific plans can I make in my life? What will I do? How will I do it? What good is reading the Scriptures of of God, the Word of God, and not applying them to our lives? It serves no purpose. We need to be spiritually based We need to be scripturally based. Remember, we need to be biblically based, and we need to be correct in applying it. One more place I want you to turn to real quick. In the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus himself talks about obeying the word of the Lord. Jesus himself talks about obeying the word of the Lord and showing us these things. Turn to Luke 6, please. Three verses we're going to read here. In verse 46 and 49 in Luke 6, Jesus is speaking. It says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show him whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the steam beat vehemently against that house and could not make it shake. For it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without the foundation, against which steam beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Jesus clearly says, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I've asked you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You say Lord, Lord, and rightly so, then why don't you do what I ask you to do? Why don't you do those things? I think our our reactions to that question might go back to what we talked about last week is, how do you receive the Word of God? After all, if you don't think that this is God's Word, if you don't think that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, if you don't think that it's inerrant or if it's infallible, and if you don't think it's the true Word of God, you're not going to be moved to obey it. You're not going to want to obey it because you don't believe it. It all depends on how you receive it, how you receive it. Remember the scripture we used last week. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. I'll read it for you. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You are You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? 
His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.